You know, as far as undersized blocking, if you think of the McNamara sisters who yeah. played at UCLA and now right. they're playing for Canada and FIVB. And doing really seen, well. They are doing really well. But have yeah. you noticed now that Nicole will soft block? Oh, so like a little step off. Yep. She'll stay up and soft block just to just to bring it back and keep it alive. Mm -hmm. And I have several videos because I've been watching them intently lately on it working perfectly every time because they're like, oh, she's going to stay up some giant girl. She's like, watch this. And it's like, bang, bang, still in play, you know. So it's interesting, but definitely, I mean, how many blockers are there? Not only in wherever you live, but at your level, right? In your area, there's just not that many. Right. Right. So agreeably, you've got to be like, hey, I'm going to split or we're just going to be like cutting off angles, like you said, and just digging machines. You got to figure it out. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Better at Beach Volleyball podcast. My name is Mark Burrick, and you are here trying to get better at beach volleyball, whether it's playing coaching, recruiting, starting a club, or something else within the volleyball world. And today we have a really awesome guest. Nicole Krisner has been involved in volleyball in pretty much every facet of the game from playing to coaching, to recruiting, to athletic cookery or chefery, however, (laughs) culinary skills, uh, we'll put it that way. And she also runs camps and clinics. So she knows a lot from the playing side, a lot from the coaching side and a lot from the business side, which is really cool. So I'm super interested in having this conversation. Just so you guys know, right now, we still have our beach volleyball camps, our seven-day training camps. They are still on sale. They're still open. More than two-thirds of the spots are sold out for all of the fall and winter. So if you want to come and spend seven or more beautiful sunny days in St. Pete Beach, Florida, with our pro coaching staff and a ton of other awesome, enthused volleyball players who want to get better, then head on over to betteratbeach.com forward slash camps. If you can't see us in person, that's totally fine because right now we are attacking defense in our complete player program. All of our players and our online coaches right now are going through the ultimate defender program, which takes you from the very basics of defense all the way up to elite strategies. And we meet online every week. Our players post their videos of the drill homework that we give them. And then our team of coaches goes in and critiques them and helps them get to the next level. So it is a course and it is coaching and it is tutorials and it is at home homework. So if you're looking to get your defense to the next level, jump into the ultimate defender, betteratbeach.com forward slash ultimate defender. Without further ado, we are going to welcome our fantastic guest and have a really cool conversation with Nicole Christner. What's up, Nicole? How's it going, Mark? How are uh, you? It's great. Life is good. Just finished a yeah. uh, practice out here, played against Kyle Friend and Tim Brewster and got a cool little treat. Kyle Friend is roommates with April Ross. They're, they're buddies. So she came out and she she led the practice and, and helped them out. So it was cool to see her out on the sand. And I think she's actually going to be in a coaching role for AVP Manhattan Beach coaching our buddy, Kyle Friend and his partner, Tim Brewster. You're kidding. I love that. A, I love Kyle and Tim as a team. I got to actually see Tim for the first time play when I was uh, coaching one of my juniors and the women's big Texas tour or big money tour for AVP, Tim was playing with Andy Banesh. And right. uh, that was the first time I saw him. And that was the week after he had just won uh, with Phil. And so 
the announcer was like, and Phil gets went from playing with a, or he went from playing with a six time partner, Andy did, to a six foot partner. Or yeah. under Is Tim six foot? It's always so difficult to measure people's heights on the sand. Like yeah. as soon as you stand next to them on flat ground when everybody has shoes on, then you're like, oh my God, you really are that tall. You know, yeah. like I'll look across the net and see blockers who are like six, eight. And I'll be like, eh, they're not that big. And then you stand next to them in the bar and you're like, all right. I, yeah. yeah. Okay. You're kind of huge. Yeah. Well, it is funny just to see, because you saw Tim, like I saw Tim next to Andy the whole time. And I was like, oh my God. Although I will say Tim's arms are probably six feet long. He is. Oh man. Player. He's got long arms and his wrist is just so good. He uses so the outside good. part of the courts. Really nice. Oh, yeah. He's so good. Yeah. He's got a really beautiful straight, straight swing and he can wrist away really, really well with power. Like he doesn't yeah. lose any of his power with it. He's amazing. I really love watching him. And he's a lefty. I'm a lefty. Big fan of lefties. Nice. Do you think lefties have an actual advantage? I mean, people talk about like, oh, it's a different look. You don't really know how to block them. I've never thought that. I think I, I don't know. that it depends on who you're playing. Like for me, I don't know when I, when I think about guys, she can create angles and make you like not see things that she's doing. So uh, for me, I think so. When I think about John Mayer, I mean, it was hard to beat him. It was hard to read him, right? You know, John, actually, John kind of almost reminds me of Tim's game a little bit. That's John true. can put some like flat pace on the ball and it really really in intelligent as a player but tim's so young right now that it's yeah. like of course that intelligence is going to come along so long as he keeps listening and getting coaching and everything like that but yeah really kind of similar if tim could develop a, a pretty decent jump surf then they'd be like pretty much the same game i agree i really love watching him defensively i'm just a big tim fan right now just because mm. he's not on the scene at least right. for me so i'm just all kind of jacked up about him especially because he's a lefty too also i guarantee you like his arm length must his wingspan's got to be six three i mean his arms are definitely longer. Than oh, yeah. Guy, right? They're, they're hitting his kneecaps. I mean, for yeah. sure. <laughs> and you can tell when he's like swinging away, you can't like his arm looks like as long as his body. It's yeah. awesome. So I do think there are those lefties. I think there are, I call them right-handed lefties. So the lefties that can't sell or create really crazy angles, but there are those few that are really, really good at just deception, a deception that a right-handed person I think has a hard time creating. It was, you know, it's, interesting today was seeing like we're friends and buddies with Kyle and Tim's like now becoming like a friend of ours because we're practicing against him so much so we're practicing they are our competition but I'm also giving them feedback like I want my friends to succeed and they were doing one set where it's a transition set coming from the back corner and Kyle was on the left side uh -huh. and Tim pushed it to the outside and I saw Kyle have to slow down and lean back and it's funny because players get so nice to each other. Teammates become so nice. So we accept good things or okay things because we're afraid of, I think, like hurting each other's feelings or putting too much pressure on them. And when Tim asked Kyle, like, hey, was that good? And Kyle was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was great. And I shook my head and, and Tim looked at me and then we fed him another one. And it was like kind of the same set where Kyle had to lean back. He couldn't accelerate into the court. So Tim didn't mm -hmm. find the space between them. He found like Kyle's right arm. And, mm -hmm. you know, immediately after the second one, like April comes over and she goes, you guys should really cut that distance and make Kyle come and get it. And like, I gave a little wink over to Tim and <laughs> I was like, it was nice to be like validated by April, but it's funny that dynamic and me and Brandon are going through it right now where it's like, you know, how much of an argument, how much do we want to piss each other off by giving this tough feedback and that communication skill? If you don't have it or you're bad at it or you feel like you have to hold back too much, 
that's the time to go and get a coach and make sure like Tim and, and Kyle really communicated well, like yeah. they, they talk a lot, mm-hmm. but then April had to come in and say like, no, like <laughs> you don't have to be that nice. And, and that sets missing. So that third eye, when you have a coach out there, Oh, it's so it's in, invaluable. Yeah. It's, it's the marriage counselor though. A lot of times, do you know what I mean? Like I coach, I coach juniors mostly and on a juniors level and female juniors, you know, they're way more emotional, right. Than, than guys would be. Mm. Right. So oftentimes it's, it's, I am being a marriage counselor, but just trying to, I think it's so important when you have a partnership, well, it's whether it's juniors or adults or males or females, finding out how to speak to each other that creates better ball, but also, you know, you can check your ego at the door so that you don't get your feelings hurt so bad, because let's face it, we're out here and we're working hard. Like you two are, you and Brenna are working hard at trying to make sure your game is efficient, is as efficient as possible. And it's not going to be efficient if you can't just say those things, right? You know, no, I need you to make me go after this ball harder rather than trying to feed it to me because it's going past me. Right. Right. It's a delicate line. And I know that when I was still able to play my old partner and I, we would really get into it really bad. So definitely having that coach and especially if that coach is ever Ross, I think that helps a lot of things. For yeah. Sure. yeah. Yeah. It's good to have that, that little backup. It was funny. So I kept setting Brandon's right arm, like it, everything that, that we teach is always like to leave the ball on the right arm, but yes. we've found out and it took a lot of trial and error, but it, we found out that he likes more like Casey Jennings. I don't know if you remember seeing Casey oh, I, Jennings play. Funny, I'm on, 52. I remember Casey Jennings better than you do. Okay. okay. Well, we'll see. I mean, he yeah. never he never cussed you out across the court in the middle oh. of a warm up practice. <laughs> well, thank goodness for that. I'm glad I don't own that well. <laughs> Uh, he was funny. He was very much like if you saw that Michael Jordan documentary where he yeah. needed something to set him off and to yeah. like make him go. Uh, Casey Jennings is one of those guys. He would like find something that he could construe as an attack on him. And he would take that and it would fire him up during a match, during a practice. And he would come at you. And like the Wolverine was a great, great name for him. Really? Uh, yeah, he's, he would let you have it. And it was great. It set, if you handled it well enough, it could set your practice on fire. And if you didn't, he would win that practice. Like if you uh-huh. back down from that, you know, then he would kind of take that emotional control and, and make you a little bit timid so Uh, having the emotional control at practice or at a game it's everything right yeah girls it happens all the time we got off off focus for a second i want to hear what you're doing with brandon because you said you're pushing it more towards his left yeah so now like casey jennings when he was playing on the right side he wanted to kick out as a right side which is unnatural most right sides will move towards their setter and and approach in a straight line casey was different he would kick out towards the sideline and ask for an inside set so that he's diving in to his left arm but he had a really nasty wrist away so so, yeah he could hit that ball down the right side of the court pretty hard and Brandon's like why are you pushing this why are you pushing this you're pushing it you're pushing it and I was just like finding exactly where I want to set like I'm lining up your right arm I don't understand and so then yesterday we practiced with Travis Maywooder and I was like oh I forgot you're a lefty I gotta set you inside and Brandon goes why don't you just think about me like that and I was like is that what you want you want me to set your left shoulder and he's like yes I'm just like all right let's change this and then today we went and side out completely cool. changes you know so it's so like the, the level the right of, 
yeah. And he wants that ball on his left shoulder so that he could come in. He squares his hips off. You know, he's not approaching a straight line, creates that angle and he really threatens that sharp angle. And then he has a really nice flick to the high line and he gets his feet to the ball. So he stays high. Usually you don't set the left arm because people can't stay as high and because you can't really threaten that wrist away, but not enough people run a natural two block yes. like to really commit fully on that. And if that's what makes him feel best and he's not jamming himself, like he's getting himself there. Yeah. Then fine. I mean, my big concern is taking away that extreme, that hard hit back to the line because you're setting the inside shoulder. He's either going to have to swing across his body, yeah. right? Or he's going to have to really pull it around and then therefore lose power. So that would be, as a coach, sure. be my thing that I'm like, oh, I want you to be able to bang that right line. You know, yeah. but if he's a, I know he's got really good court vision and uh, I mean, if, he get, if he's got that high tap, awesome. No. Well, yeah, and there's, there's two solutions to that, right? When you dive in and you can either hit that hard line if that defender's really sitting there and you need to overpower them, yeah. or, or you just go over cross. Right. Most people like don't realize that you have that other option. And if your vision is there and you can carry it there and you can stay high, then just because somebody runs a four or a two on you doesn't mean you have to bang line. Correct. You still have that over cross option. And well, I'm not going to give away too much of our offense but that's like <laughs> there are other answers aside from needing to, to hit hard down yeah, that line sure. and the other problem though that exists is most people don't have vision because most people don't contact the ball in front of them they right. contact it on top of them and therefore yeah. losing their vision and only seeing the sky which is i mean you know on a pro level different right. hopefully but on any other level besides pro people really love to contact that ball on top of them and all they can see is the sky and they have no vision yeah, of course. <laughs> because they're early. Our favorite thing is coaches, right? The early conversation is something, it was crazy. I gave Casey Patterson, had him on the podcast before it was a podcast. And we showed a, a video clip of him getting a dig after coming back from three points down, getting a dig when he had 15-14 to win Manhattan Beach. And mm -hmm. I was like, you just got a dig. It's 15-14. You know, you got the dig that you needed. And I paused the screen. I said, what's going through your mind right now? And he was like, wait. It's so funny that for Manhattan Beach Championship Open, like the an Olympian is still telling himself, wait, don't be early. Like in the middle of a match, in the middle of battle, you, you kind of think, oh, maybe he'll be in flow state. And he's just, you know, yeah. he's, he's not even thinking. No, yeah. he's still like coaching himself to not be early. Uh, that is that amazing. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's funny because if you watch, I watch a lot of film on Casey. And in fact, for my coaching, when I teach everybody, I have videos of all pros, right? Doing different parts of the game. So I have mm. different files that are just hitting or defense or whatever. And Casey's all over my hitting one because I love his approach to the ball, the length away and his really long approach and his very slow to fast approach. And that mm. super snappy elbow to wrist that he's got is so awesome. But it is funny for me to hear you say that because to me, he's just like, oh, I'm going to dig. I'm just going to stand here and walk in and then load on my, on my step close. And then the ball's gone. You know what I mean? Right. So that is really funny and a little sad because all the people I've been coaching all these years that are now in college and playing D1 and stuff that I'm wondering if they're ever going to be on time then. Meaning <laughs> Patterson's like that. Like the point to where you can finally automate it. It's so strange that you have to hold yourself back all the time. You know, you can't attach yourself to that setter rhythm too much unless you're running a tempo flow and everything. Exactly. But we can get that at another time. Yeah. So yeah. I want to hear about your trip into coaching and how that started, because uh, you, you were playing, you played for a long time, and then 
were you, did you start coaching at the same time? Did you develop into a coach? And, and what was the beginning like? And I was put into a family when I was in sixth grade. And my sixth grade teacher, Mike Lindstrom, we called him Mr. L, got me into volleyball. He was my first coach. He was my sixth grade teacher. And he made his entire class start touching balls when they were in sixth grade, which turned out to be amazing. So he ended up being my indoor coach for seventh grade all the way through 12th grade. And we went to indoor junior Olympics. We played beach tournaments. I'm from Michigan. So we played them in the two days that you were able to play on the beach in Michigan. You played juniors beach volleyball in Michigan in well, the 90s? It was the 80s. You were okay. in the 90s. I was the 80s. Okay. Sadly. Yeah, up in Hamtramck, no, near Traverse City. I can't remember the name of it, but they had tournaments. I don't remember if they were juniors tournaments as that was a long, long time ago, 30 yeah. years ago. But yeah, we used to go play beach tournaments with him there. And then every year for indoor, we would go play junior Olympics in Chicago. That's where the yes. indoor was back then. And anyway... So this man, I came from being in juvie. Like I was not, I wasn't a bad kid. It was my family, but I was put into the system and this man literally changed everything. I didn't think I was worth anything. I was this kid that was lived down the streets in Michigan. And then all of a sudden here I am. And here's, he's my teacher and my volleyball coach. And he actually saw me and he actually cared that I was alive and he was everything. He was everything to me. And so I went and played D1 in college. Uh, I got a full ride to Winthrop in South Carolina. And, and then of course I was gone. He's a sixth grade teacher in Michigan. So, but I always thought about him. And when I was in my twenties, uh, I started coaching, just doing volunteer coaching for girls at like the YMCA and stuff like that. And so I was doing some coaching then. And I, I kept coaching indoor until probably 30, 30 years old, 31 years old. Um, and then I couldn't do it anymore because <laughs> I was playing beach. So I started playing beach uh, when I was probably 28. And then I really started going and playing open level tournaments all over the place. Around then I played in Italy. That was probably the funnest tournament I've ever played in. There Vivione? Were... Vivione, yes! Um, we have a, a goal, like our big group of friends uh, out here in Hermosa has a big goal to make the Bibioni trip next year. It's supposed to be the biggest. It's the biggest. Okay. So for those people who don't know, I've never been there. You just see pictures. It's Bibioni, Italy, and they have, it's the largest beach volleyball tournament in the world. I'm pretty sure. But now from your experience, what's Bibioni like? Oh my gosh. I wish I could play videos for you on here. Uh, So you go there and God only knows how warm or cold it is. When I went there that year, I don't remember what year it was, but it was not warm. Let's just say that. But I got there on Thursday and they have a warm-up party on Friday for the players. So all the players don't even arrive until Saturday. But the Friday party, it was just try to imagine like, I don't know, like Woodstock. <laughs> like <laughs> my pictures, they have they have a spritz party. Spritz is the national drink of Italy, right? And normally spritz you have in a glass. Well, they made it in kegs, okay? So it's this like 500 kegs of spritz, okay? There's people as far as the eye can see. So I'm sitting there getting my drink at this, my pitcher of spritz. And then I turn around with my camera and it's like just a sea of people. So that night, it was a Friday. I think there were, they said there were 8,000 players there. And then by the next day, there were 10,200 or something. Beach only. It was awesome. We taught them on Saturday after we played how to play flip cup because there was a rain out. So we had like 
literally like three 50 person tables <laughs> how to play flip cup it was awesome so anyway what you, you could have broken to- it into like five teams or something oh, that for sure <laughs> it's hard because there were so many people so many different languages that were being spoken there and so that's what you have to do before you go to Bibione. you have to learn how to call the score mm. in italian or okay. you're in trouble Every single time, just like here, right? You got to call the score. So you have to know all of your numbers and Pele. I think it's Pele. And then you call the score. Anyway, it is. Yeah, you definitely have to get there. For oh, sure. Such a bucket list. There's there's a few big bucket list ones, and that's one. I mean, other bucket lists that people should put on their list is for sure the Rosarito tournament. It used to be the Estero tournament south of San Diego. It's a blind draw. Oh no. Which oh, means no. that you sign up and well the, the the organizers do a pretty good job because they work hard on looking through the CBVA statistics yeah. where everybody's level is at. They won't put a like a pro level player with a true beginner, they'll put them with like an A or double A, something that's reasonable. And then they'll put, you know, two A players together, an A and a double A. They'll they'll try to mix it up and match it. But it's, yeah, it's down in Mexico. They've now partnered with a hotel they didn't used to. It used to be on a campground. It's so much fun. A lot of people drive down, you know, through Tijuana and then you get to, used to be Estero, now it's Rosarito, but that should be on everybody's bucket list. That was my first like California volleyball experience in terms of like the, the lifestyle of people who just play volleyball because it's fun and and party-ish. I didn't realize that, you know, for me, it was beach volleyball was a way to get better at indoor. And I just kind of fell in love with it equally. But then when I saw people just loving the sport and partying while they played, that was eye-opening, I guess. You know, it it didn't like addict me to the culture, but it, it made you realize that this is a a lifestyle sport you know you can be here and create a great social group of great friends and bond with people through the sport that's awesome i've never heard of that one that's crazy have you gone to dinosaur yet i know you're not real you'd have to have a dinosaur partner i was three quarters of the way there this year and i broke my foot while hiking in oahu so i took the trip to oahu to visit my brother and i was three days away from playing the dino fell out of a tree onto a rock broke my foot and that pretty much crashed this whole what are you a cartoon you fell out of a tree onto a rock yeah you're hiking you know there's a very climbable tree and it was but just one of the branches just couldn't you know, couldn't handle the full force of my personality so it broke uh <laughs> and uh and i fell quite a ways i was able to like walk and jog out of there but then once i was sitting on the couch you you just feel it and you're like something's this is a little too much is more than a dinger yeah oh no who are you supposed to play with joe lambert he's a good friend of mine who kind of brought me out to salt lake city in utah and uh, helped me organize clinics and get a bunch of private lessons and then during COVID, Utah wasn't really shut down. California was. So I essentially moved to Utah for eight months, started up a really nice program there and really thankful for him. And we became just like best friends. So not yeah. awesome that you broke your foot and couldn't play at night. He was Did not he happy, but he got to play with Jeff Samuels, who's an actual blocker. So oh, Jeff Samuels is an actual, he's not very tall. I know he can jump like Troy, but yeah, he's a six foot one blocker. Oh. Okay. But he really should be a defender, right? Not all short people should be defenders. Not all tall people should be blockers, you know? I agree, but it depends on how high you're. This is a conversation I have with volley dorks all the time. Yeah. How tall you have to be, depending on how far you're trying to go in this volleyball career, right? And then when you're choosing partners, people need to stop thinking about, I need a blocker. Because if your pool of blockers isn't huge, then you need to just find the best volleyball player. Because you'll be in a way better situation if you get somebody who can scramble, dig on the move, um, and and you're siding out and you're setting 
perfectly. Like, right. all right, so y- you need to come up with one more magical defensive stop. You yeah. know, high lines are going to be easy. Okay, we get that. But figure out a way to mitigate that with tough serving. I, I just think people get obsessed with positionals, right sides, left sides, yes, uh, blocker, defender, instead of saying, if I served somebody and had them set 10 balls, who would pass 10 better than anybody else? Right. That's what you should be thinking. I think that when I try to talk to people about that these days, um, I always talk about the Lindquist sisters. But, you know, sadly, I actually, if you don't know the Lindquist sisters, they were two, they were both five, six, I think, right? Around there. Yeah. They only played together and they always got ninth or better. After a while, they got fifths or better. And every AVP back in the day, they were playing against Diane Denekashe, who's six foot four. They were playing against Jenny Johnson Jordan. They were playing against the best of the best. I mean, Holly was still playing back then. Like that was a while ago, right? And they did not care. Like did not matter who was hitting against them. They were going to dig it and they were going to side out. It was so crazy to watch. But now, sadly, they don't have any video. I actually emailed them asking for video because I want to show it to my juniors and be like, look, you don't have to even, you don't even really have to be a split team. You can be a littles team and you can create some real chaos and panic no matter how big the other team mm-hmm. is, right? And uh, anyway, the they don't have any video to share, which makes me sad to just believe. But if you ever watched one match with them, you'd be like, okay, I get it now, no. right? I bet, the, I bet that the guy in San Diego who always recorded the Southern California matches, like the CBVAs, I bet he's still got something on his channel. I'm trying to remember the name of his channel because he was putting up, he was the one who was making professional volleyball viewable for like 10 years before anybody was ever thinking about YouTube channels or, or how to like promote the sport. He would just show up at a tournament, find his favorite match, set the camera up and then put it on YouTube. Oh man. Um, I can't believe I'm blanking on the name of the YouTube channel right now, but uh, if you think of him, you'll have to let me know because I would really love to have, I mean, everybody should be able to watch one match with them against anybody. It didn't matter. So I think, I think the peeling, let's talk about peeling on everything under men's open. Okay. Right. Because I think men's open peeling's going to get you in trouble. Men's pro men's open. That's going to get you in trouble. Women's women's pro women's open should be peeling significantly more than males. And that's, I mean, it's completely evident when you watch uh, pro AVP pro FIVB, there's so much peeling. It's there's, it's the point where it's not even is the hitter in trouble, but blocker looks at it. Can I touch it? No, I'm peeling, you know? So as soon as it's out of their reach, they're peeling. And when you see the Brazilians play, they'll step up heavy into that pocket and just leave their hands right by their face at half court and say, you're going to have to jumbo me to beat me. You know, they cut off that angle and they're so good with their peel defense. But I mean, that is a hard, that's a really, really hard part of the game to really master. And you have to just wrap that thousands upon thousands of times to be able like look at Alex Kleinman when she started playing with April right when she I played. reference her all the time for for peel digging go ahead yeah I mean her her peel her peel digging was not good no offense to her that's a really hard thing to master but it was not good if you watch them in Rome like three years ago it was yep. That's really what killed him besides serve receive a little mm-hmm. bit. But anyway, so then just watching how good, because at that point, I mean, we were two years away from the Olympics and April was playing with her and I was like, oh my God, what, what is this going to look like? Right. 
and then watching how good she got at it and how she's just sick now yeah. like she got to a play I had to tell everyone I was wrong like I'm wrong she's really freaking good before the Olympics mm-hmm. right leading up to the Olympics and it was her peel defense and her serve receive and that was everything that she needed to fix and she yeah. fixed it but how many hours and how many days and how many reps did she do to get that peel defense down? I mean, it's really, really hard. You know, as far as undersized blocking, if you think of the McNamara sisters who yeah. played at UCLA and now right. they're playing for Canada and FIVB. And doing really seen, well. They are doing really well. But have yeah. you noticed now that Nicole will soft block? Oh, so like a little step off. Yep. She'll stay up and soft block just to just to bring it back and keep it alive. Mm-hmm. And I have several videos because I've been watching them intently lately on it working perfectly every time because they're like, oh, she's going to stay up some giant girl. She's like, watch this. And it's like, bang, bang, still yeah. in play, you know. So it's interesting, but definitely, I mean, how many blockers are there, not only in wherever you live, but at your level, right? In your area, there's just not that many. Right. Right. So agreeably, you've got to be like, hey, I'm going to split or we're just going to be like cutting off angles, like you said, and just digging machines. You got to figure it out. I'll throw some random number out there. And this is not based on statistics. But if you're not getting two blocks a set and you're not touching at least six balls a set, I mean, that's it should probably be higher. If you're not touching that, you need to completely reassess the idea that you should be anywhere near the net because people think like blocks count if you get two blocks a a game but you don't touch the rest of the balls Mm -hmm. you have not done your job you need to be affecting the play you know if you touch 10 balls but you get no blocks honestly you're doing a better job than somebody who gets two blocks and and no touches for points because you're actually having an effect on the game you're allowing your defender to be a little more stable, like, okay, she can reach a high line or she can read it and then wait and do a a high block and reaching up instead of trying to penetrate. Right. I I think, again, as usual, it all depends on the level that you're playing, of course, but blocking, you know, there's technical blocking, which is what pros do. And then there's taking away space blocking, which is what every you know, double B, A, A, triple A, wherever you are is probably doing, right? right? Are you at your level taking away the part of the court that you're telling your partner you're going to take away, right? If you are, depending on your level, then maybe you are doing it okay, in my opinion, right? Yeah. Because then your defender can feel safe that A, they can't hit power to the part of the court that you've called. And if that's true and you are a fast defender and you can run down that high line when they're blocking line, right? They should have taken away everything else that should be a problem for you as long as they can turn and get on a waterfall shot over them, right? right. So in my opinion, and all us coaches, I love I love talking to different coaches because we all have such different perspectives on things, right? You so, think so? I don't know. I, I find more and more that like the top coaches are really similar. Um, so? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple of, of different like minor tiny points of the game, but everyone that I've talked to, is, at least on this podcast and when I go out and practice, the ideas are all like, yeah, you just have to do this. Like you, these are the basics. I think that it's like, you know, I coach more non-pro like super high level. I have, I've coached two teams to national championships. So I, I've co- I coach elite level too. And mm. I coach, I also do only D one commit camps too. So I do work with high level, but I also work with the beginners. I work with intermediates, whatever. And for me on the baseline level of adults that are playing to be good and play in tournaments and 
and play in double B or A or double A or whatever that is around the place, it is more like there's a difference. I think we'll agree on this. There's a difference between that level blocking oh, yeah. and technical blocking, right? Yeah. I mean, they are nobody that's not an open level player and usually even open level women aren't really technical blocking, independent arm blocking. Right. Whereas, right, they're just two they're taking up space blocking, right? Yeah. And again, if you're effective on that and you're reading the person and how they're coming in and if you should late block or you know whatever you should, those, those decisions you should be making, I think that as long as you're effectively taking away that part of the court and your defender is an able-bodied human who can move quickly, <laughs> right? As long as you're sitting in the pocket where that's the only place they can swing and it's the only place that you don't have time to react to that ball, mm. you can run everything else down, right? That isn't a beautifully like super pacey, top spinning, whatever, right? Yeah. So, you know, on your podcast, I think you have all sorts of different levels, right? Mm. So it is definitely kind of and blocking more than anything, right? Like, well, I don't think offense. anybody underneath, definitely not like it, men double A and women double A for sure, peel 80% of the time. Probably at least you have to be there. And then, I mean, you're talking about hard driven balls in terms of blocking, but if you're only making somebody hit four, six inches higher than the level of the tape, you're not even doing your job because that high line becomes way, way too open. easy. Yeah. You know, that, that's why I think in talking about top level men's blockers, you have to make them reach high so that your defender can have some sort of chance at a high line. Agree. Jeff I Alzino totally was always talking about that. He was always like, I was like, you know, like this guy's hitting flat high line. Should I run a four? Should I do this? He goes, no, you should get a bigger blocker that can touch a high line. <laughs> I was just like, all right, well, that's not a solution right now. Yeah. <laughs> Even with my high level girls who are still in high school, like I've got a couple that are six one, six two, just working on that one-handed swat for those high lines, being able to stay up there and swat is everything. But again, like that's super, not a lot of people are doing that. Right. right? And super you elite, shouldn't have athletes. to until that open level. Exactly. Other than that, like learn how to dig a ball with your hands. The, yeah. the pepperers out there, I'm talking to you. If you are the person who gets all pissy when you're peppering and your partner hits at your face and you look at them with open hands, you say, oh, come on. You have to learn how to hands dig. And if your pepper only involves hitting at each other's forearms, you need to grow up yep. <laughs> and you need to learn how to play defense, like react to something that comes at your face. Cause I mean, for sure the offense isn't going to do that. And then you say, Oh, we're well, ruining like my rhythm of warming up. Listen, if you're not ready to play volleyball, you're not ready to play volleyball. Like Agreed. hit my face, hit over my head, make me hit run. everywhere, hit yes. everywhere around me that my arm can reach. Yeah. Please. Right. Yeah. I absolutely agree. Unless we're doing like circle bump at your local barbecue, like then <laughs> whatever. All right. Like, don't challenge me because like, I got a beer in one hand. I want to spill it. <laughs> That's funny. Back in the day, back in the eighties, we didn't have really overhead digging at all. And mm. so it was really hard for me to learn that when I got in my twenties, like to just start open hand digging. Cause back in the eighties, it didn't exist really. Yeah. You know, what's interesting. I'm always like when, when women learn to hands dig, I think that that process actually has to come way later at least, um, you know, not the tomahawk style digging, but like the, the finger yeah, digging, yeah. because there aren't enough power athletes on that game that are hitting so hard on a consistent basis at the A and double A level. Like there's a 
bunch of whatever ex-baseball and football players that'll jump above the net and can still mash a ball and hit me in the face, right? right? They can't do it nine out of 10 times accurately. But even at the A level, that guy, I'm gonna have to need my fingers to dig because they can put that pace on the ball. But you don't really see that much pace until that high double A open level in women. And then that's when they finally have to learn it. So when you teach, when you train juniors, are you working a lot on finger digging or is it more kind of pop and hands and and knuckles? No, I'm telling you, I I have to work on hand digging because now I'm telling you, I don't know the last time. I don't know. Have you gone and watched any of the junior nationals that were just there in July? I don't like going there because my confidence immediately (laughs) degrades 10 points. I'm like, they're so good. I don't, I can't wait to retire. (laughs) I'm telling you 16 U girls can hit the ball so hard, like bounce the ball. I'm not kidding, bouncing the ball, okay? Like basic, like UCLA's, they got Sally Perez this year. She's from North Carolina, six foot two. She bounces the ball. She can bounce it like over stance, okay? So you have to, at this level now in juniors girls, you have to hand dig. Like right. that's, that's where we're at. At 16U, do you know at 10U in Hermosa, 10U, I was watching them, jump toppy serve and in system three touches 10 years old nine and ten that's great that's what it should be and They're it's literally up to my hips it's, it's unbelievable it's funny when you start comparing that because i played a, a very little bit on on the east coast and you start thinking of like the california kids are you comparing yourself to those people around you yeah and i always kind of knew like the players that i'm playing with in new york are probably trash compared to the players that exist in California that I haven't met yet. And it's 100% true. So if you're kind of like, if you're above average on the East Coast, Northeast, like Midwest, you're not good enough nationally. You need to be the absolute best there. Uh, If you want to compete for those college scholarships, uh, national championships, things like that, there is for sure another level here in Florida. It's growing around the country for sure you, you start seeing it and you're like oh wow a kid from missouri kid that i got to work with at a clinic he just won the 14 nationals and he's from missouri like yeah cool but he is quite clearly the best you right. know in in his neighborhood it's it's not not a joke he's playing at men's open in his area right. and that's right. what it should be for some of you if you're kicking butt at the juniors level you got to get out of the juniors and just start playing the opens if you want to see that level. You absolutely do. I really suggest that. In fact, all of my elite players, um, I have one that's going to Stanford and one at FSU this year uh, going in uh, for their plan before COVID hit, right? We won the junior national championship in Hermosa, the AVP at the stadium. It was really cool. We won that when they were 15 years old. And I was like, our plan from now on, qualify and get our bids where we need to, but we're only playing AVP, everything adult. We're playing all open level, everything, because that's how you're going to get better. That's how you're going to prepare for college now. But, you know, like you were saying, it is, you know, regionally, there's certainly differences, but that gap is, is closing. I will tell you, you know, for the, I was there for, in Hermosa for the whole month of July, because we have almost all of the junior national championships there for the month. And um, we had just as many East Coast national champions than we did than we did West Coast. So the tide is changing with that. 
Um, some of the top recruits in the country have come from North Carolina and Georgia. I mean, it's changing now. Like I, I don't even know if we got to it because we keep on losing focus of where we're going, but I do camps all over the country, juniors camps all over the country. I'm in Missouri. I was in Wisconsin last week. I'm all over the place, kind of in the mid country. And there are some really, really talented players there. So the gap is changing, right? The downside is they don't have the wind and the beach in their backyard, right? So it's a lot harder for them when they, you know, they can be really, really good in the Midwest. But once you get to Florida or California and you're dealing with wind, for the first time, your coach can't teach wind if there's right. no wind, right? right? We teach wind philosophy, right? And this is what you do when, but once you get in it, it's a whole different story, right? Yeah. So I am proud that that gap is changing and the game is growing so much because of because of you guys and, and because of people like me yeah. doing camps. Absolutely. Right? That's a good opportunity to just take a, a quick break from a word from our one and only sponsor. <laughs> Guys, if you don't know, with Better at Beach, we run camps and we run clinics. We run clinics around the country and we run camps currently in Florida, but we're always looking for new places. If you ever want us to run a camp or clinic in your area, you need to get in touch. The best way to do that uh, are one day clinics. And if you have a court, that you can control legally, or you have a permit for it, or you know how to get that permit, or you know the manager of, let's say, like the local facility or establishment, then if you have that court and you know that you can get at least 12 players for a full day, our camps are 250 for the full day, and that means that you get three two and a half hour sessions, and we have uh, no more than 12 players per coach, no more than 12 players per court. So we keep very small numbers. If you want us to come to your neighborhood, get that stuff set up, know where you want us to coach, know where you want that to happen, and then sign up on one of the forms on betteratbeach.com forward slash clinics. And we would be thrilled to come and work with you, work with your club, you and 12 buddies. Uh, it's, it's easy enough as that. So just go on a betteratbeach.com forward slash clinics. And if you do want to come to a seven-day training camp, of course, betteratbeach.com forward slash camps. We have five weeks from October until January, and we will be adding more in February, March, and April, and we would love to see you there. If you look at the links below, you can also get a free drill book, our 36 favorite drills for beach volleyball. You can just check out the links in the show notes and get some stuff so that you can start working on your own before we even get there. Let's go back to the show. Nicole, how does somebody sign up for one of your camps? Oh, I want to know. I want to help you grow. Oh, that's awesome. So I do camps all over the country and I just have them, people request, they're like, Hey, can you come do a camp here? And I'm like, yep. So it sounds a lot like you. The difference in what I do is I keep my athlete to coach ratio one to six. I do a lot of slow-mo video and one-on-one video breakdowns with them. Basically like I was in Wisconsin last week and they were like, all right, we've got these six girls that we want you to train. And they did the same thing. I'm like, get me a flight give me a bed, make sure I have a court, make sure I have 20 balls. Let's go. Right. So mine are, it sounds like mine are a lot like yours. Mine run from nine to four 30 usually, but it's regardless, it's eight hours of camp. So you get 16 hours of training in two days to get a hold of me. You can look me up on Instagram. I'm Nicole Christner, C-H-R-I-S-T-N-E-R or B-B like boy, boy, the number two, Nicole, just get in touch with me and ask. I also do camps with other people. Like uh, as far as pros, Troy Field and I have done camps together all over the place in Florida and Texas. Currently, John Hyden and I are also doing camps together. We do a lot of them. We're setting up a boys camp. It'll be our first boys 
awesome. 18-year-old camp. Where's that, that going to be? Help that grow. That, that's going to be here in Georgia at my camps. I coach for S3. That's a club, a beach-only club in Georgia. And we've got five courts. So we're going to run our first boys, 14 to 18-year-old intermediate to advanced level boys training. I also coach for NTDP, which is the USA Volleyball National Training Development Program. Okay. Um, so we, I'm a scout for them. I'm a national scout. So whenever I see really good boys talent, I write a report on them and I send it into USA Volleyball. And so I've just started with the boys. I'm on their permanent staff now. So I've just started doing the boys. So I've decided it's time for me to delve in and start working with boys. And who better to do it with than John Hyden? I mean, two-time Olympian, 20 years playing pro beach, however many gazillions of wins. I mean, mm-hmm. heck, he just got a fifth a few weeks ago. 49 years old, not bad. He knows a lot. He knows a lot. I always love picking his brain. He's a shockingly awesome person. I like, we see a lot of things very similarly and, you know, you kind of supposed to be, he's tough as a coach and a person, and he has high expectations of his players and of people in general. And yep. in that way, we align in a big way, you know, like high expectations from, from people and from players. I really have a ton of respect and, and have grown to like, actually like John as a friend, which is cool. Well, me too. I mean, he's my work husband, so we fight like cats and dogs, but we're supposed to because he's my work husband. But yeah, when we were just out there and July, you guys were gracious enough to let us borrow everything we needed to run a camp. We ran a camp on your courts afterwards. Brandon and Dan took care of us and we really, really appreciate that. We had a great, uh, we ran a D1 college players only. So current girls that were playing college on your two courts there at second and third. And we just had an amazing four days and can't thank you guys enough. That was a huge help for us. Yeah, that's easy. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, John was like, I'll just make, don't worry. I'll just make the courts and balls appear. I'm just going to make it happen. I'm going to will it to happen. I'm like, John, not good enough for me. So anyway, thank you. <laughs> to you. Yeah, that's easy. I mean, there's enough volleyballs living in the South Bay that <laughs> well, the you'll, ports you'll and the lines them. and the antenna, those were going to be a challenge no matter what. So yeah. I appreciate it. It was a great time down there. Um, and I got to meet some of your other coaches who are also awesome. I got great. to talk a lot of volley dorkness with Brandon because clearly it's my favorite thing to do. All of us were volleyball maniacs. So guys, if you do want to set up a camper clinic with Nicole and she's working with juniors, she's working with adults, she's doing a anybody. lot. You anybody. Want to volleyball, I will teach you. Check out the link in the show notes. We are linking her Instagram and you can give me permission to do it or not, but I have your email listed there as well. If people want to check it out and get in touch with you. Absolutely. Love it. Nice. What else do you want to talk about? Let's talk about the BBWCA just because Great. I, we're really trying to. So me, pre-Lima, Pianta Dosi Lima, I always say, <laughs> yeah. who was a pro on the AVP and the NVL for many, many years and from for Brazil and the FIVB. And could still do it if she wanted to. She can. Yep. I make her do it at some of her events <laughs> sometimes. And she's like, really? I'm not even warmed up. And then she's like, <laughs> Nice people. So uh, she's one of my partners and uh, Kaya Marciniak, who is Peter Marciniak's wife, and they both still play on the tour. She'll be at the MBO this weekend. We got together and we want to make sure that there's more females coaching females than just women in general in beach volleyball. That was interesting when you said that. Do you think that there's a lacking of female beach volleyball coaches there's a giant lacking <laughs> do you That's not think there's, there's way more in california because barb's out there and holly and anna and megan but in the rest of the country it's basically pre-kaya and i <laughs> like, That's wild i don't just, understand why because there's i mean you look at well 
Yeah, I guess. Because if you look at a juniors tournament, it's just flooded. Teenage girls, flooded. And then you have it in college, and then you look at any adult tournament and the it seems like there's always like less than 60 percent of the girls there the girls and the women there than there are men it's like that the men are the ones signing up for the adult tournaments and we're always significantly outnumbering the women's side and i didn't realize that that was happening from the coaching standpoint as well why do you think that is in standpoint's a big thing so when we when we actually formed this bbwca the beach volleyball women's coaches alliance we realized it's a big problem the number one problem is that we're the ones that create humans. So women have babies and then they go do the mothery nesty thing, right? So, so many of them don't stay in the sport. If they intended to coach, they don't stay in because they're raising a child, okay. right? Or the play, right? We'd have, when I was still playing, we'd be like, oh, you're pregnant. That's awesome. See you in two years. <laughs> Hey, we just lost another like good player. Exactly. So it is, I mean, that's a thing, but actually I did a really cool thing when I was out there. We had, there's so many women as far as I'm concerned, right? Where I am, it's like me and a couple other female coaches, Mm. maybe, right? So when we were out there for nationals, we had all of the D1 coaches out there that were, were recruiting. And then we have Holly McPeak and Barbara Fontana and Anna Collier and Megan Bergdor, you know, just a bunch of women that are out there coaching in California. I'm totally jealous of that. So anyway, I had the first women's that like powerful women in beach volleyball get together. And I had 23 of the top women in volleyball. Like there were Olympians, there were D1 coaches, and then there was me, the junior (laughs) beach coach. But it was amazing. Like we had, you know, Brooke, who's the head coach at FSU there, right? We had Summer, who's the assistant coach at Stanford. We had Katie, the assistant coach at LSU, you know what I mean? And Olympians. So we, we had a really good conversation about this and how do we get more women coaching because it's women and we're being coached by men and no offense to you men, love you men. Sometimes you men coach girls in a man's way. Sometimes women's bodies don't move the way a men's moves. Right, right. So it's gotta be, it's a little different, right? So anyway, we had a big talk about it and and a lot of the women in coaching thing is not only because we have the babies, not me personally, but Mm. I have 200 babies currently. And but because a lot of the times women kind of want a higher paying job, whereas young guys will kind of be like, oh, it's a coaching gig. Sure. I'll just move wherever and make whatever. Mm. And girls won't really do that. That's Mm. kind of what we deduced. So, and in coaching, you know, you coach for the love of the game. Right, Mark? Yep. We don't coach for the money because it's there's not- There's no bench and beach and there's no money in beach. <laughs> we got we to gotta make a good, uh, yeah. what are you calling? Yeah, there, there just isn't. So we think that because of those two issues, it's a problem, right? Guys, I mean, guys, think about it. If you were not playing now mm. and you were not married, right? Let's say you were 28, right? And an assistant coach at whatever college, D1 school opened up, you'd be like, yeah, I'm going to step up the ladder. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not you. I'm, Other, yeah. I'm out on NCAA. I'm, <laughs> all right. I am too, yeah. but there's many, many people that would be like, Hey, ultimately I want to be an NCAA coach. Mm. I'll take that step. I'll move across the country and make $27,000 a year, which right. is by the way, what most of them make. So there's those problems and we're trying to figure out ways to get more women into it because so many women, even when you're coaching, when I'm coaching adults or juniors, they'll be like, oh my God, Nicole, I want to be a coach when I grow up too, so I can do what you do. I'm like, awesome. But then something, something happens along the way. 
Yeah. Right. So we just, we want more women coaching women and we want more female beach players, right? I mean, there's a lot, but if you go to BVB info, there's like 4,000 more men than there are women in there. Yep. You know? So yep. we just, we just want to help grow the sport. I'm trying to grow the sport now with the boys too, but Hey, I'm a girl, right? The world's going and all parts of it. Yeah. Nice. I like that. No, I didn't. I definitely didn't. That's something that uh, that's opening my eyes. Cause I didn't realize, especially like on, on our podcast, we've had for sure more women coaches than guys. And we just, all we do is reach out. You know, we just have a list of NCAA coaches and we just go through it piece by piece. And oh, that's funny. from our guest list, we wouldn't have known that. That's really funny. So I can tell you that right now, 35% of coaches are female. Oh, wow. Significant. 65% yeah. of men. I know this because I've been doing a lot of talks on this and this is the 50th year anniversary of Title IX. So I've been, I've been hosting a bunch of talks lately about this. So that's a hard number. 35%. Yep. That's a big Thanks. difference. Yeah. yeah. But you also have to have the love of the game, right? And be like addicted and uh -huh. it's a sport. Probably guys get more addicted to sports than most women do. You know, the whole home building and family building, right or wrong, it's just kind of the way it happens. And guys just kind of get out there and do sports in their 20s and 30s and don't think about it. And I think you're right. A lot of women are more interested in like being the one who keeps the family uh, in order and succeeding as well. Listen, I hate to do this, but I have to go coach my boys right now. No, you're fine. You're fine. I got a, another one coming up right after this. Nicole, thank you so much. This is this has been so much fun. I, I Really, we just like chatted <laughs> on volleyball, like real natural conversation. So I appreciate you. Are there any, before you go, are there any websites uh we know that your instagram and your email are linked below so that's where people can find you for camps and clinic and all levels as well as you finding and spotlighting some future talent for usa volleyball but are there any other websites or things that people should check out or if somebody wants to become a coach is there a way for them to find you in the Beach Volleyball Women's Association? Yes, absolutely. So on the BVWCA, you can look that up on Instagram or Facebook or go to bvwca.com, Beach Volleyball Women's Coaches Alliance.com. Mm. Um, you can certainly get a, a hold of me and Pri and Kaya through that. Um, we always invite out women to come and work with us and learn from us at our camps. So we love to have women fly out to wherever we're doing the camp and just stay with us and help learn and coach and plan and do everything it takes to learn how to be a better coach, ask us a million questions. I do have a lot of females that do call me or email me and I help mentor them in the beach world and just becoming a coach and a mentor and um, you know college recruitment or whatever it is. So in any way that you want to reach out to me, like Mark said, my email is there. Please direct mail me, email me, do whatever you want. But I'm always happy to help anybody in beach volleyball because beach volleyball is my life. Yeah. And it's a darn volleyball. good life too. Yeah. <laughs> It is. I can't wait to see you guys playing the NBO this week. I'm flying out on Friday. I'm stoked. And nice. uh, hopefully you guys will be in Chicago too. Those are the two I get to go to and not oh, nice. for the first time. Yay. Awesome. Cool. Well, we'll see you both places. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mark. Have a great All right. day. Bye, Nicole. You too. Bye. Awesome interview there with Nicole. She has been in all different, like you said, all different facets of the game from club to national team stuff, national development stuff. And she's got a ton of experience and quick and easy to talk to about all of her experience and her knowledge of the game. So that was absolutely fantastic conversation. Like I said, if you are interested in, you know, getting another clinic set up, you can bring us out. You can bring Nicole out. 
all of those links are below. And we really, really do have a passion for growing the sport. So uh, all those links you can find below. And even if you're not sure yet, but there's a chance you might want to bring a clinic to your area, your facility, your hometown, the restaurant in your town that has two courts, get in touch. It's that easy and we'll start working on it with you. As a reminder, our online program, our complete player program is firing. So if you want your game taken to another level, if you join the complete player program, you get our full 21-day athletic foundations program, which is an athletic challenge, a fitness challenge. You get our 60-day max vertical program, which is averaging about four and a half, five inches of vertical increase for people who finish the program. It is a volleyball-designed fitness program. So there is no wasting time. There's no wasting exercises. There are no wrong exercises. Uh, everything there is specific to volleyball players, vertical jump, agility, and a bit of conditioning. You can find that at the link below on its own. You can take that. Or if you join the complete player program, you get that and every one of our skill and strategy courses. And we coach you for the entire year. So that means that you will be filming your workouts you'll be filming the drill homework that we give you and we give you drill homework that you can do in front of your garage out in the street in front of your house or on a court we tell you how to do it both ways you record it you post it on our private facebook group and then we go there and we jump in and we actually coach your game so for any of you who are looking to upgrade your skills and strategy and learn from avp pros this is your chance it's your chance to take your game and wonder you know what what would an avp player think of it what corrections would they make how far am i from the top level or just what's going wrong join the complete player program it's right there go to betterbeach.com forward slash coaching links are also included below guys i appreciate your time anytime you want to reach out if you have ideas if you maybe think that you should be a guest on the show make it easy on us so we don't have to hunt everybody down and if you ever think that you want to coach for us we have online coaching opportunities we are growing and kind of growing fast um and we need great people who are excellent coaches so if you think that you have a skill set that would work for online or e-commerce or seo businesses or you just are a great editor or social media or your project manager i don't know if you want to work in beach volleyball and you think you're the bee's knees get in touch and let's have a conversation all right thank you guys so much for listening my name is mark burke this is better at beach we'll see you on the sand